Cape Town, high, you know, 75 to 85% of people, once they've been in prison, will go back to prison at some point in their future. And so that was kind of the kingdom mandate. It was the thing that we were like, the holy discontent that we had was this shouldn't be. We need to come up with a strategy. Welcome to the Lausanne Movement Podcast, where we have a passion to accelerate global mission together. I am your host, Jason Watson, and today we have an exciting interview lined up for you. A few months ago, I was able to sit down with Dr. Tim Tucker at Lausanne's Africa and Middle East Gathering in Ethiopia. I've known Tim for many years and have been able to watch from a distance as he has built up a truly impactful ministry here in South Africa called the Message Trust South Africa. The Message Trust is a part of a worldwide movement passionately sharing the love of Jesus Christ in words and actions with the hardest to reach young people and communities. In our interview, Tim shares his insights and lessons he learned from launching a new ministry in Cape Town, seeking to break the cycle of poverty, gangsterism, and crime. We speak about prison enterprise, creative mission, community transformation, and leadership development. I thoroughly enjoyed my time interviewing Tim, and I know that our time together will add value to you and inspire you in your ministry. And so without further ado, let's jump into my interview with Dr. Tim Tucker. So Tim, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks, Jason. It's really exciting for me to have you on the podcast today. you the first guest that I've had history with and <laughs> okay. I have background with. I remember being a teenager and you preaching at a number of the camps that I attended and always looking forward to the talks that you gave. I found them very impactful in my own life. But what has impacted me more has been the ministry that you have been doing in South Africa and especially in Cape Town. And so we're going to be unpacking that together. Right. I want to begin with your backstory. I would love to hear how you became called or how you felt called to ministry. Could you share that with us? Yeah. And then I would also, just before you begin, I'd also like you to share how you began to feel a passion for the African continent. Sure, sure. I think that's probably all wrapped into one. I think for my, my story is a couple of moments of clear direction from the Lord, but actually more of an unraveling over time, I think, that God's revealed his kind of calling and purpose for me. But it does go back to when I was a child, and I'll cover this quickly, but I gave my life to the Lord publicly when I was about seven or eight. I was aware I was a sinner, needed Jesus in my childlike way, repented in church and asked Jesus into my heart. And it must have been a year or so after that, we had an MAF missionary speaking at our church. And I was highly impacted by this, by this missionary, so much so that we were on holiday a couple of weeks later. It must have been a, yeah, two or three weeks later. And I said to my dad, and I said, I've prayed to the God that if he wants me to go to the mission field, when we go walking on the Welsh mountains, which is where we were staying this afternoon or today, if it rains, then I know God doesn't want me to be a missionary. But if it doesn't rain, then I'm going to be a missionary. So I had my childhood fleece. Yeah, it was like a fleece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was very specific. I was, if God, if you want me to be a missionary with MAF in Africa, I was very specific. And we went walking and I told my dad, but dad was very gracious to me. And we went on this hike. And literally, as we went over these hills, one cloud came over. There was a few drops of rain and then it passed. And I was distraught because in my heart, I wanted to be a missionary. And I said to my dad, dad I, you know, it rained. And he said, no, but it was just a few drops. And he said, maybe the call of God is there on your life, but he doesn't want you to be so specific at this stage. And I just took that as the wisdom, you know, I took that on board. And, you know, obviously I grew up from there, but it was definitely a mark on my life. I went through some dodgy times in my teenage years 
And the age of 17, I really knew I had to either be fully in with Jesus or fully out. I wasn't going to sit on the fence. I'm not that kind of person. And, and so, yeah, there was one time I was, we were in church and I knew I'd been living compromised life. It was communion. And so for the first time, I let the communion pass. And then a few weeks later, there was a message given in church. And I made an, what I call at 17, my adult commitment to Jesus. And with that was a sense of I am all in, whatever it takes. And I went full guns blazing at that stage. I was doing an, I was actually doing an engineering apprenticeship, which was all part of the master plan. If I was going to be a missionary, I needed to have a fullback career. <laughs> Believe it or not, that was my thinking at the time. So at 16, I left school. I did an engineering apprenticeship. And so I, I went all out in terms of in ministry, doing youth work, doing this, that, and the other, playing worship. Actually, by the age of 19, I got chronic fatigue syndrome and for three years was sick and on my back. And actually, I'm so grateful for those years because I learned at that point, and this for me was, I guess, the foundation of my calling. I learned at that point that God loved me just as much for those years when I was lying on my back, unable to do the work of the Lord. He loved me just as much as when I'm preaching or when I'm sharing the gospel or, or whatever. And that was important for someone like me who's an activist, who gets a sense of self-worth through what I accomplish. I needed to recognize that that wasn't the foundation of my faith or even the foundation of my calling. And really it was in coming out of those years of illness that my life shifted. My local church, as I began to get better, I started getting involved in youth ministry again. Eventually they offered me a job. I started studying through London Bible College initially. And then the invitation came to come to Cape Town, South Africa. And, and so there's been this unraveling there wasn't in my mind any master plan or even sense of clarity at any point it was at each point God was revealing what the next stage was and so in 1998 it was actually my uncle who was pastoring a church in Cape Town who had been visiting the UK and said to me they might be looking for a youth pastor and I said to him oh I might be interested in applying for that and his words to me were oh that's not such a stupid idea so the <laughs> That not such a stupid idea has led to the rest of my life being wow. in ministry in, in South Africa. So I came to, to the link to Africa again. It was initially just for two years. In 1998, came as a youth worker. I thought, what a great opportunity. I've always been interested in South Africa. During the years that I was laid up with sickness, I watched Nelson Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom, followed a lot of that post-apartheid era South Africa, what was happening here. So I thought, what an interesting time to go to South Africa and be involved in ministry. And I thought it would be two years and then I'd probably return to the UK. I was quite interested in church planting and all kinds of things at that stage. But really, as once I got to Cape Town and started using what I knew in order to be engaging in cross-cultural mission and ministry, which was soccer at the time, football, that God really began to work in my heart to be working with young people in some of the more impoverished or more dangerous communities of Cape Town. And I had the opportunity through soccer ministry to go to Zimbabwe in 1999. And a couple of real words came to me at that point that kind of made me sense, oh, this is a longer term calling into Africa. And so then that's kind of shaped things, shaped things on from there. Thank you for sharing that. We're going to dive into your work with the Message Trust. But before we go there, just to latch on to your backstory, you have two young boys, uh, one's becoming a young adult now and moving into that phase of life. What would you say to a young person who feels what you felt in those early days, a, a call into ministry, not quite sure what it is, but has some sort of direction? 
What advice would you give to someone in that life phase? Yeah, I mean, that's great. I was really blessed in the sense of some of the people around me just letting me try things. I think I, I experimented with a number of things. I didn't come too narrow at a young age. I mean, I didn't go to Bible college full time, for example. I studied via correspondence and my journey of theological education, once it started, it just continued for years. I just kept on going. I think that that sense of just allow God to, to open up doors for you. Don't push too hard. See what's in front of you. I was involved in a number of different things and using the things that I enjoyed and saying, how can I utilize this to serve the Lord? So if it was music, I was involved in music a long time, you know, sports, speaking, those were the things I was passionate about. And so I think it was in some ways experimental. I was failures. I mean, my first, my early preaching gigs back in the UK were to an old age homes. So I very quickly got, I very quickly got used to people falling asleep while I was preaching. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and so wherever there was opportunities to try things, I would, I would try it with sense of open handedness and saying, Lord, I don't know if this is going to lead into something, but I'm just going to be obedient to the thing that's in front of me and allow you to, to guide me in that. And, and then just have some trusted people around you who can speak into it and encourage you, but also correct. I mean, even working for my uncle for those couple of years was interesting. You know, I'm working for a family member, but he was very honest with me, gave me feedback, would critique my sermons. And it wasn't out of that sense of criticism. It was out of the sense of trying to pull out of me the best that he could. And I really appreciated that. So yeah, maybe those are a couple of things, you know, don't, don't be too specific, allow God to lead and guide you, try different things. There's my favorite quote at the moment is Richard Foster. He said, we tend to overestimate what we can do in one year and underestimate what we can do in 10 years. Wow, and I think that's, that's great advice for a young person, particularly like me, is I wanted to change the world in a short amount of time, but actually God needs to do the work in us first. And that can take a bit of time. And if we allow that time to happen, then there can be an acceleration. And the beautiful thing about that is you see God glorified in your life and you can no longer say, oh, look what I did. You actually realize, I think the older you get, they realize God has just graciously allowed me to stumble through this thing and out of my faithfulness and obedience, somehow he has deemed there to be fruitfulness. And for that, he gets all the glory and, and not us. And I think that's important. Tim, thank you for that. I'm even taking life lessons from what you've just said. So I appreciate that. I'd love for us to shift gears and begin focusing on some of the work you've done in Cape Town. Like I said, my wife and I joined you in Cape Town for a few days just to see what you guys were doing among the young people in Cape Town. Could you share with our audience the vision and mission of the Message Trust and paint a picture for us of what kind of ministry you're doing with broad strokes, what yeah. kind of ministry you're doing in Cape Town? So I joined the Message Trust in 2014. I did 12 years of sports ministry and that was an amazing experience for me. But in that really saw the need for deep investments into broken young people in order that they can fulfill their potential in faith and life. And so the heartbeat of the Message Trust is working with youth at risk in some of the toughest communities, um, which we've been doing in Cape Town. We're a partner of, of the Message Trust UK, but we took kind of what they'd developed over 25 years of ministry in inner city Manchester and then adapted that for the Cape Town context. And really the mission or goal for us is we talk about raising up urban heroes. You know, an urban hero is a transformational leader, someone who has had every competitive disadvantage in life for their community they're from, their maybe fatherlessness, they're, you know, caught up in gangs and crime. They've been part of what the world sees as the problem, 
we see them as potential trophies of grace for the gospel. So everything that we do is about creating an environment for young people caught up in destructive lifestyles to become champions for Christ and becoming those urban heroes. Because if we can invest in those lives, then they can begin to have a ripple effect of impact in their communities and neighborhoods. And so, so that's what we do, and that's the heartbeat of the ministry. And then the things around that that make that work, we are front and center gospel proclamation movements. So we do that primarily through the creative arts, through music and activities that young people can enjoy. We talk about give them what they love in order to give them what they need, you know, so relevant music, but the gospel always at the center. So our, our artists, the people that we work with, they are proclamation evangelists, but they're utilizing the vehicle of, of music in, or, in order to do that. It's a creative mission in schools. We say in schools, on streets and stages, wherever we can get in front of young people, we proclaim the gospel. And then alongside that, we've got community hubs, which are kind of more going deep into some of the broken communities, diversion of young people from gangs and crime and other things and into to healthy alternatives in partnership with local churches, but again, discipleship, support, education and the rest. And then something that we're probably quite well known for in Cape Town is then our work with young people who are then coming out of troubled backgrounds, those who have already been in gangs and crime, and we call it our prisons and enterprise program. And so that is rehabilitating, a Christ-centered rehabilitation approach for those who've already been in prison. Maybe we'll talk a bit more about that now. And then the fourth arm of what we do, so it's creative mission, community transformation, prisons and enterprise, and then training and equipping. Really, how can we begin to scale the impact among young people through partnering with local churches and particularly, again, mobilizing the gift of evangelism alongside servant leadership. And those two things kind of hand, hand in hand. It's a privilege to be part of a, a movement that is saying God is raising up leaders from the margins who themselves are just serving Christ wholeheartedly. The reason why I wanted you to paint the picture for us is because I think often when we see, so I'm speaking from my own perspective as a young person, I see someone like yourself and many others who are doing amazing ministry and it, it almost feels overwhelming. So you're doing so many good things. I would love to hear from you how you began that process because before everything was there and you were doing all that you were doing, you weren't doing anything. And I would love to hear those early years. How did you begin the process of developing you know, trust and influence within the communities? Could you paint us a picture of where you began? You had a vision in your heart. Yeah. But how did you get that vision into reality? I think there were a few things that are kind of, I guess, pillars in that process. And I think having a clear focus of what we're trying to accomplish is critical. Because sometimes people look at an organization like The Message and they can get lost in our sub-brands and the amount that we do. But actually everything we do contributes to that clear focus in our mind's eye, that young person that's got caught up in gangs and crime and is coming out of prison, they want to follow Jesus, but they don't know how to do it. We want to be the guide and the way to support them so they can then take that next step in their journey. Um, so clear focus is important. But I think alongside that, some of the practical things, which I think you want to get at is one of our values as an inter-church or parachurch or organ missional organization is local church. And I think probably two keys when we started in Cape Town in 2014 was we had one church, I'd call them an early adopter church, but almost like an incubator church that we aligned very closely with. And they were remarkable in two ways. One is as being a resource base in terms of volunteers and people and just, just loving us in our mission and ministry, giving us office space. But we obviously cultivated that relationship with that church. It was very much a two-way uh, relationship. So making sure that there was a clear 
accountability, but also it also helped us with reputation because we were able to, sounds terrible, piggyback off the credibility of, of a local church, uh, which I think is important for anyone involved in missions. The second thing I did, which I think is very important for the South African context, but probably elsewhere, even though I've lived in South Africa 25 years, I still recognize a couple of things. One is I'm still British origin. I'm culturally British. I'm a white person in the African context. And so I constantly see myself as operating upon the invitation of majority church leadership within the South African context, which would be black leadership within the South African context. So very early on, I started an advisory team and it was five pastors of small churches, but in the communities in which we were serving. And I gave them the right to speak into me and the ministry. They weren't a board. They were, had no governance responsibility in that sense, but we had relational accountable responsibility. So that, that principle of submission that as young leaders, we struggle with, we want to just go, we've heard from the Lord, we want to do this thing, but I needed to have some people around me that for my sake, this wasn't about appearances to anyone else. I needed to submit to local leadership. And for me at that point, it was very important that there were local leadership of churches in the communities that we were working with. So, so somewhere, so that principle of submission, healthy submission, it's a word that young people don't like, but actually in that is incredible freedom. Because if you know that you're accountable to someone and they're loving on you and helping you, and th then you've got freedom to keep on pushing to keep on going and keep on innovating. And maybe that would be the third thing I think that was key for us was we were part of a broader message ministry. One of the other values, a local church is one value. Another value of the message was innovation. And so we wanted to adopt the DNA of the kind of mothership, so to speak. So that was good. We adopted the DNA. We wanted to eat. So we adopted certain things like prayer rhythms. We were like, well, if, if the prayer rhythm in the UK has worked and they've grown as a mission, why would we do anything different than adopt their prayer rhythm? We want to pray as hard as they've been doing. You know, there were certain things we adopted, but we also recognize we have to adapt to the context. You can't just cookie cut things. And I think this is the temptation in, in a globally connected world is that we think something has worked somewhere. So we just want to copy it and, and think it's going to have God's blessing. No, actually, we need to listen to the environment that we're in. I think as young leaders, we've got to spend time listening to the environment. And we did that in those early years. And we listened. We went to critical places in the city and tried to observe what God was doing and, and learn and see what he was doing. And it's the classic thing comes from the Blackaby teaching, listening and seeing to what God's doing and then joining him in that. Then we become far more effective as well. So I think those were kind of critical pillars in those early years. And then, yeah, it's an obvious one. Find the right people to work with. You can waste so much time in ministry working with the wrong people. Be discerning. Just have that spirit of discernment to say, who's going to be with you for the long haul? It was quite interesting that the church partner that I spoke of, they had a picture early on for us, and it was of fighter jets in formation. And that these fighter jets, were, were, you know, they were on a mission, you know, they're going on the mission. But as other planes came in, they just locked into formation and they all continued on the same mission. We've carried that with us as well. Find people who are going to lock into formation with you and then they add capacity to your mission rather than distraction. Okay, those are a few things that, that come to mind. Brilliant. Uh, I think there's, there's so much we can unpack there and that would be a whole podcast <laughs> episode 
I did. Sorry. I warned you. I warned you. <laughs> Once we get talking. But I'd like us to, to focus in on some of the work that you've done. Um, let's begin with the Prison Enterprise Ministry. Could you describe for our audience what the situation in the South African prison system looks like and how you began ministering and what you do in terms of prison ministry? Yeah. When we first started in Cape Town, and it's like, you know, when we're working with youth at risk, it's like across Cape Town where there's hundreds of thousands of youth at risk. It's where do we start? Where should we start? And we actually decided to focus on young offender institutions or or youth centers, which in the South African context are part of the bigger prisons. They're not separate centers, but they have sections within the bigger prisons that tend to have the people under the age of 30 within them. But I mean, some of the massive challenges that the two big ones to mention of of young offenders in the South African context is, uh, is the gang system. The prisons are pretty much run by the gangs called the numbers gang, the violent gangs the mantra of the gangs is once you join the gang there's one door in there's no door out the gang community in prison and out of prison it's all interconnected so there's a massive challenge there so we wanted to find a way of discipling those who came to christ in prisons want to come out of those gangs that was one thing then the second big challenge is reoffending rates massively high parole break rates, reoffending rates in South Africa. So it just becomes a revolving door. And, that, and that's common around the world. Cape Town, high, you know, 75 to 85% of people, once they've been in prison, will go back to prison at some point in their future. And so that was kind of the kingdom mandate. It was the thing that we were like, the holy discontent that we had was this shouldn't be. We need to come up with a strategy. And initially we spent, you know, the first two or three years, we spent a lot of time in prison and worked with other Christian ministries as well. We developed programs in prison, and we specifically wanted to focus on the pre-release period. So historically, through sports ministry, we had some relationships with prisons. And as we started the Message Trust, one of those prisons actually contacted us and said, could we start a pre-release program in their prison because there was nothing being offered by the government? So we started with that, and that went well, but we found there were still challenges. And so without giving you too much of a long story on it, we recognized the more that we engaged with the guys in prison, and initially we were probably doing 70% of our time in prison and 30% of our time on reintegration post-prison, we then flipped that over the years. So now what we do is we actually work mostly with other Christian ministries uh, and, and NGOs who are involved in prison ministry. They see a lot of guys in prison come to Christ. What we've developed is the day someone gets out of prison, the discipleship opportunity for them post-prison. And pretty much our 80% of our prison ministry is now focused on that. And we've got now, it probably took five years to develop this, but a system whereby we can offer housing to someone if they're coming out of prison and it would be too risky for them to go back into their gang community. We can have them evaluated by a Christian social worker in terms of their needs and their situation, understanding their home environment and putting them into a mentoring relationship. We then offer a job readiness program because the biggest challenge is if you come out of prison, how are you going to provide for your family? There's a priest in America who's got a prison reintegration program. He says, nothing stops a bullet like a job. And so, you know, the guys need to find a way to work. And actually, then we started something called Gangstar Enterprises, where we actually started our own businesses to employ ex-offenders, which has now evolved into Gangstar Cafe. And this chain of coffee shops that we've got where we can provide that first job for someone who's come out of prison. So this is, it's holistic, it's deep, it's long term, but 
that's what's required. If you've got someone who for 16, 17, 18 years of their life, they've been discipled by the gangs. They've been discipled by their brokenness. They've had no, most of the guys we talk to, men and women, are coming out of prisons. They, they've had no positive role models in their life. So once they've accepted Christ, that's just the start. You've then got to unpack all that negativeness that they've had their entire lives. We need to walk a road with them so that they can walk into the flourishing that God has for them. And when they do, then we get the most amazing leaders as well. Yes, we have heartache along the way. We get failures. There are failures in that sense. But actually, we find that even those that fall along the wayside, two or three years, they come back knocking on our door because they know that we'll be accepted and there'll be a fresh opportunity for them. So that's the that's that kind of prisons and enterprise. And then the beautiful thing about that, Jason, is that then a lot of those guys become the guys that also then do the evangelism and the mission work and feedback into the other programs working with the youngsters that we're with as well. So yeah, it's, it's that's a, it's a snapshot. I'd love to, I could tell you a couple of stories very, very quickly. Just, tell me one. Okay. I'll tell you Sinawo. Sinawo was our first female barista and she got in prison. This is a typical South African story for a woman. She ended up in prison. We've recorded her story. It is online, so she doesn't mind us sharing it. But, you know, she ended up in prison because her boyfriend was manipulating her to steal from the shop in which she was working. She was then one who ended up in prison. She already had a child. She had to go into prison, leave her child. But in prison, cried out to God. Coming out of prison with a criminal record is like, where am I going to go? How am I going to find a job? Not only that, how am I going to grow my faith? And someone told her about the message trust. She walked into our doors, assessed by our social worker, went through our barista training. And she will say she now works as one of our managers. In fact, she's just become our barista trainer. And she celebrates. I was the first female barista for Gangstar. I'm a gangster. My job is now to make other opportunities for others. She's reunited with her child and she's following Jesus, you know, and that's the most important thing. And she's in an environment where she can flourish. And she's now training others through the Barista Academy as well. And so, so that's just one snapshot of the kind of work that we're doing. And for us, again, it's that deep investment into one life. But through that, it can begin to have these ripple effects of impact that I think brings much glory to God. So you mentioned that you do the prison enterprise ministry and you also do community transformation. And you've already touched on many ways that community transformation has even happened out of the prison ministry. But could you paint a picture of the kind of communities that you work with in Cape Town and how you, as a British missionary, were able to bridge the gap cross-culturally and build trust within those communities? I mean, it's a great question. I mean, I'll talk about Nyanga. So Nyanga is, has the reputation of being the murder capital of Cape Town, which considering Cape Town's the 14th most violent, I think it might be the 11th most violent city in the world now, you can tell what level of violence and dysfunction there is in, in, in Nyanga. So I think there are a few things that have really helped us. So we have a hub that is in the heart of Nyanga itself. And one of the principles that we have is incarnational mission. We need people who are not parachuting in and out of these communities, but people who are committed within the community. And so our task has been to identify and support a team of incarnational missionaries, if you like, who are living and serving within the context of Nyanga. And through doing that, then we see the most effective form of ministry taking place. Now, the key for us in the Nyanga context was a local church again. Nyanga Baptist Church 
in the heart of the community who themselves were being pastored by a gentleman, amazing man called Quinelli, who had been many moons ago in prison himself. And so he had a heart for the young people in the neighborhood. And so initially, we just started by doing some ministry alongside the church, prayer walks, things like that. But the, the key that kind of unlocked the long-term potential was when a, a young man called Umkaluli, himself out of prison, who had a vision for his own community, to go back into his own community and to see young men, particularly young men, have fresh opportunity and begin to thrive. And so through the partnership with the church, this young man, Umkaluli, we then in, engaged with a local soccer team and began to start a process of engaging this team, then discipleship, leadership training. And then alongside the church, we actually put in a facility there that's become basically an after-school center where these young boys and girls all come every day. And alongside that then, we then formed this missional team centered around Umkaluli and other people within the community who were beginning to say, we want to really sow into this community in such a way that these young people can have a viable alternative than following the pathway of the gangs and, and the rest. And so this missional team's been built around, uh, was initially built around MK. He's now handed that over actually to one of the beneficiaries, a young man called Ganti. And if I could tell you about this guy, I mean, this guy has a passion for the kids in Nyanga, that they should become lawyers, doctors, teachers, and, and they do lock-ins at the church, all-night lock-ins on education, and they do maths and science over the weekend. And he mobilizes other young students from the Nyanga area to come in and support that. So everything that we do from the outside is to empower them on the ground. And then, so whenever we go in Nyanga, we're there to serve their leadership. Kanti is my leader when I'm in Nyanga. Whenever we do anything, he's, he's the key to unlocking the future potential and the team around him. And if we go in cross-culturally, we're not going in as experts, we're going in as, as learners to serve, to help them flourish locally. And so I think those are some of the principles and some of the practices. We've been led by the team on the ground throughout that whole process. And, and we're beginning to see in the past year, I mean, Nyanga now actually isn't the murder capital in Cape Town. It's still up there, but for the first couple of times, the crime rates are beginning to drop. And at the very place where we have our hub, which used to be a hotspot rivalry between two gangs, there's been very little action now in that part awesome. of Nyanga for a very long time. And we're convinced it's because of the prayer and the presence of God's people alongside bold proclamation to say we are a gospel movement in the heart of that community. Wow. I just have a picture of light shining in the darkness yeah. and the darkness fleeing. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes it just takes that one switch, doesn't it? And, then, and so darkness loses. It always does. Tim, as you're just speaking and you're sharing these stories of these friendships that you've formed, I can see your passion for people and the joy that you've received by working alongside people from all walks of life. You mentioned earlier that people are discipled in the gangs. How have you been discipled and what life lessons have you learned through these relationships that you've formed along the way? I think... Um, Deep question. I think I've had to learn. So I'm still unpacking a lot. And without wanting to go on a too much of a tangent, you know, my Western British mindset as a problem solver is something I'm constantly having to deal with. But I can't be the solution. I can't, you know, we've got to lay aside our superhero complex 
when we're working cross-culturally, when we're working across socioeconomic gaps. Very early on in our message journey, myself and my co-director at the time, Mark Schlesinger, we said we've got to become the kind of leaders that model Christ-centered servant leadership. And so what does that look like? So we took a deep dive into scripture and to said, if we're going to raise up leaders, we've got to ask ourselves, what kind of leaders are we wanting to raise up? Which means what kind of leaders do we need to be? And so we looked at hallmarks of Jesus' leadership. And again, look, we're not the only people to have done this, but we, we were saying we want to learn lessons at the front line of mission that can help shape us to be the kind of servant leaders that we want to be. And I think asking those questions was really helpful to un unpick the kind of way we'd been sewn up as leaders, as you know, particularly from the Western influence, and then reform ourselves by listening and learning from those that we are in ministry with. I mean, someone like, I've mentioned Pastor Quinn Ailey and just someone like him and his dedication to his community. And there's another pastor, I'm just mentioning pastors for now because they come to mind, but Pastor Eddie in a, another community with Parkwood, they have a theology of 24-7 ministry. Wow. They don't compartmentalize their work job life as a pastor from their other things. They're working in the poorest of the poor and, and they're pouring their hearts out into the neighborhoods. And so I want to champion their cause and use whatever influence I've got or whatever giftedness I've got or even or whatever I've got, you know, whatever time I've got to strongly support them because that's what God does to us. He looks for a heart. Uh, and when he looks for an available heart, the word says that he will strongly support that heart. So being a servant leader means we've got to strongly support those who are demonstrating the heart of Christ in a way that I never would be able to in those areas. So I think I've learned a lot around that. I've learned a lot around the resilience that it takes and watching people working amongst broken people. It just takes a certain amount of resilience because you can't become cold to it. You've got to remain compassionate. And so compassion is a choice. The Bible says, clothe yourself with compassion. And so that's a daily choice as we get dressed and brush our teeth. We've got to clothe ourselves with compassion. I think I've I've learned that from people and to say that, you know, people talk about compassion fatigue. Well, I don't think we have that option as followers of Christ, but that doesn't mean we don't take time to recover just as Jesus did. We have to find that time with the Father. But at the same time, we've got to say there's a time to go again and push on in, in resilience. So I think those are some of the lessons as I, as I look at working alongside these heroes of the faith to me that I get to see on a daily basis. The Lord can form some of that into my heart and life. Then, then I'm so grateful. So one of the reasons why we went down to Cape Town to see the work that you were doing was because of the work that you've done among young people and how you've been able to reach a vast amount of young people within these communities. And we wanted to go and learn from you to see how we could apply it in our own context. And I was amazed. You mentioned some of these communities. We went to one of the gatherings and there were just over a thousand students that packed out a school hall. Could you share with our audience what strategies you've employed to reach, you've already mentioned a few, to reach the young people yeah. within these communities. And you've also mentioned how you do leadership empowerment and training, how that all fits together in reaching the next gen. I think, again, looking at the model of Jesus ministry and, and kind of our founder in the UK, Andy Hawthorne, talk, talks a lot about this. Jesus spoke about lamp on a stand, city on a hill. He also spoke about salt and yeast. Our conversation so far has spoken a lot about salt and yeast ministry, what many might term social justice, which is not a term I particularly like. If anything, it's gospel-centered justice or kingdom-centered justice. But alongside that, which is the deeds and action side of our faith, 
we still believe in bold proclamation of the gospel amongst young people. We've got to paint a, an accurate picture for them of what it means to be a follower of, of Jesus Christ. So what you saw in 2019 was, was kind of saying, we've got to put the lamp on a stand. We've got to call people to Christ. You said those that lift Jesus high, all people will be drawn to him. And also that keeps us sharp in our gospel proclamation. In a movement like Lausanne that's speaking about evangelization, we've got to keep the gospel sharp. And so we talk about, about often what we do. There's that, that's the point of the spear is, is going into community to make Jesus known, to make sure people understand why we're ultimately there. And the rest follows our words, our works and deeds and love and compassion and all our acts of justice and mercy follow from making it absolute clear that all the people I've spoken to you about, they wouldn't be who they are now if Jesus hadn't transformed their hearts. And ultimately, that's what we want to prove. We want to prove that it's a heart transplant through the gospel that can take any broken life and turn them into incredible gospel-centered leaders. So I don't know if I'm answering your question. I've gone off, I've gone off on one a little bit there. But um, I think, yeah, so, so it comes back to in the gathering of young people, I think it's we've become so cautious about the proclamation element. We've almost caused this dichotomy where church-based young people, we feel we need to entertain them to maintain them in the, in the church, which doesn't work in my, in my opinion after doing youth ministry for many, many years. It's not to say they shouldn't have a good time, but actually I feel church-based young people need to understand that they're on mission, that there's a cause. I think African young people are hungry for a cause. And what greater cause than serving Jesus Christ, the only cause that can have an eternal output, an eternal impact. And so I think we're not painting that enough. And at the same time, unbelieving young people who had no knowledge of, of Christ, they're hungry. They're hungry to know that they're loved and that there's a hope and that there's a future and that there's a purpose as well. So, so when we're speaking to Christian young people, we're talking about following Christ as the most exciting, transformational and difficult and life-threatening, but who wouldn't want some, an adventure for Jesus? And when we're speaking to young people who are not in the church, we're painting Jesus high. And so we're trying to do that, but we want to do that in ways that shows Jesus to be great. And so if that's through our music and through the events and the things that we're doing, when we go into a Cape Flats township and put on an event, we don't want them to feel like they're second-class citizens because they feel like that most of the time. So we want to make sure it's all singing, all dancing, all lights, all whatever, that they have a great time in order that their hearts can be open to receive the message of the gospel that comes through uh, in that moment. So I think that's where as youth ministry, it's, we're in a critical moment to say, you know, how do we then integrate both those things so that actually your church Christian young people are themselves engaging in missional activity. And I always tell a young person, there's no greater thrill that you will have in your life than leading one person to Jesus Christ. And so if you do that, there's no drug going to com compete with that. So if we can get young people to experience that, then we're onto something, aren't we? Surely that's the seedbed of, of reviving any community. And just to, to share with our listeners, at the end of the event that we attended in that school hall, there was an altar call that was done and hundreds of students stood up yeah. and you filtered them into halls where local church pastors were waiting, ready to receive them yeah. and to integrate them back into churches and disciple them. And so I thought that was such a beautiful connection between the message trust and the local churches that you had built relationships yeah. with. 
So maybe just to say that, I mean, that specific week, which we call the Hire Tour, we're in schools every day for a week. All the artists that perform at the final event must be willing to go and serve in local schools. So we reached 4,500 kids in schools that during the course of the week. All of them are then invited to this big free concert on the Friday night at one of the local schools. One and a half, I mean, we were so shocked with that particular, one and a half thousand kids showed up at that, again, in their community, showed up at that gig. 250 came forward for prayer that night. They all got Bibles. They all got, you know, and it, it was a seed sowing exercise, you know, and we were working with local churches. We've established a permanent hub in partnership with one of those local churches. So we've gone the broad thing, but we're also doing the deep thing in that same neighborhood. And I think that's where there's, you know, I understand the criticism of broad-based evangelism, but like I say, we've got to lift Jesus high. But if we can do it in partnership with local churches and be looking at practical ways to equip churches for that follow-up and discipleship, then I think we're onto something that can begin to really impact youth ministry. So we're going to have to close this yep. podcast episode <laughs> very soon. But before I do, I would love to hear what the message trust vision is for Africa, because you've expanded and are expanding beyond just Cape Town. Mm. Could you share your hopes and your dreams for what you're going to be doing in South Africa and into the African yeah. continent? So, so I think probably one of the, my highlights of my ministry life so far has been January this year, Sean Pretorius is a Cape Town man has now become the South Africa CEO of the Message Trust. Sean's an amazing guy from the hood himself, you know, with his own testimony, but he's just leading the ministry in South Africa beautifully. And so I've joined the global development team, but with specifically now looking, my task is five hubs of the message across Africa over the next few years. So we're looking at, it is expanding across Africa, is, is the vision to take what we've learned, to carry the same thing really, to say, let's carry the DNA, but let's look at the context in different cities and let's raise up leaders within those cities that can have an exponential impact within those cities. And I think that the three areas we talk about as, as our kind of kingdom contribution in urban areas across Africa is, firstly, we want to empower young people in the gospel. We want to empower them to live Christ-centered lives so they can thrive in faith and, and in life. But the second thing is we do want to equip the church. We want to stand hand in hand with the church, with this youth bulge that we've got in Africa. And the church, even at this conference, hearing the questions they've got about youth ministry, we want to work together with local churches to say, how do we effectively work with this generation so that the momentum of the gospel goes to another level in Africa. We don't want to take a step back now. We want to keep on growing. But the third thing, which is quite a, a specific one, is if we want to see, we talk about the eradication. In Cape Town, we talk about the eradication of gangsterism as a barrier to the gospel. And in the rest of African cities, I'm kind of saying the eradication of youth crime as a barrier to the gospel. The young people who are caught up in these mega cities across the continent who are now getting involved in dropping out of school and getting involved in all kinds of antisocial behavior that we are able to provide an alternative option for them in partnership with local churches and for each young person that makes that positive choice then we're eradicating the barrier of youth crime to the gospel so that's that's the heartbeat that we have so exciting and i really look forward to seeing how that vision unfolds as we go yeah. forward into the future uganda's coming next uganda yeah yeah and uh, and having conversations with other countries but uganda is well on its way now which is in kampala so excited for that we're launching in december 2024 with a massive youth festival awesome. just outside kampala and then establishing our full-time work over this next couple of years in, in Kampala. So exciting. Uh, Tim, as we bring this to a close, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your story, uh, sharing your insights. 
I've truly felt like you've added value to my life and I know that you've added value to those who are listening. As we bring it to a close, how can people find you? Maybe they've heard your story, they're excited about what you're doing, they want to connect with you or connect with the Message Trust in South Africa or Africa. Where can they connect with you? How can they move forward? Okay, I'll give you two websites. The first one then is the Message South Africa website, probably the best one to go to for now, which is just message.org.za, message.org.za. And then my blog, my personal site is based around my servant leadership writings and a few other things. And that's grabatau.site, S-I-T-E, grabatau.site. So you can connect with me personally on there. My personal details are on that website. And I would just recommend to everyone that is listening to go and grab that book. It is excellent, along with many of the others that you've written, so they can take Thanks, a look Jason. at those. Obviously, I, I owe you something after this podcast. That's <laughs> something I'm, I'm like me, very humble by. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Tim, thank you so much for your time. Truly appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you so much, Jason. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Lausanne Movement Podcast. If you liked today's episode, won't you take a moment to give us a rating and review and give us a shout out on social media. Next week, we'll be back with another episode that we hope will inspire you to accelerate global mission within your own space. Until next week, cheers. Mm-hmm.